0: Welcome everybody to the possibly last ever All About Symbian Insight podcast recording us on Monday the 3rd of November twenty I'm Steve Litchfield and of course the other main man from the Symbian world, Rafe Blanford. Yes, thank you Steve. As
1: you say, probably the last ever Symbian podcast we'll record. I know back when we were recording the last few, we promised that we'd try and keep them regular and keep them coming. But there hasn't really been an awful lot of news to talk about to do uh, a regular podcast. And uh, so we got to number 247, and that was back in March. (laughs) And we thought it was about time to kind of uh, update everybody and uh, record number 248. I guess we might try and do some retrospectives, um, which are going to be more about talking about memories, just so we can get to the 250 mark or something like that. Uh, But actually, if you look back through our our naming convention we actually changed it uh, a, a while back and there were some before that so we're actually stuck somewhere i think in the mid-280s or something like that and of course we have been recording the weekly uh or weekly or so i should say all about windows phone podcast where Symbian comes up a surprising <laughs> amount probably uh, oh, well, it's not such a surprise when you've got two Symbian stalwarts recording that we sort of uh tend to remark Symbian used to do that or it was the pioneer, or early like that but we wanted to do kind of a, a Symbian focused podcast just round up you know, I guess it's probably the polite way to say it's the sunset of your services or the other way to put it is Microsoft killing every last vestige of uh, remaining online Symbian support and a lot more has gone since we talked about it in march where things were beginning to be shut off i think it's fair to say
0: yeah i don't think we should get too caught up in conspiracy theories though much as <laughs> no. people, much as our readers would and listeners would love us to get to get all paranoid and start m- mouthing off about microsoft and elop and so forth i don't think this is the place i'd like just to have a bit of news a bit of retrospective uh our favorite of de- Symbian devices ever maybe we can finish the podcast with that at the end but uh, a few items of uh, kind of news which is um, maybe slightly depressing news but it's news nevertheless <laughs> From the <laughs> Symbian world. Uh, I did notice that Nokia suite has stopped working. At least you can't sign into the Nokia's or Microsoft's now servers via Nokia suite. And it's to do with Poodle Rafe. I'm not sure whether you follow the security news, but there's been a vulnerability found. It's not a se- really serious vulnerability, but it is a vulnerable. Um, in ssl3 which is a security uh, way of lo- logging in securely and because nokia suite uh, used ssl3 as the way for you to log into the nokia account um, they've disabled it which means that you can't now log in there is a workaround and i've put the workaround quoted from nokia discussions forums whereby you can replace a few dll's and basically change the way the login happens but it's a, a tiny bit fiddly and a kind of a sign part of this A sign of the times, Rafe, in terms of security and part of the sign of the times that Microsoft hasn't really raced to fix this.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, these things do happen. It was one of the kind of big risks that we identified anything that uh, once it's kind of gone into maintenance mode or preservation mode, the kind of updating of things in order to fix security bugs um, was always going to be difficult, particularly when it happens to a component that's kind of part of the furniture or the infrastructure, if you like. Um, there are, of course, people out there going, but I'm using this, I want it fixed. You, you also have to be realistic about the prioritisation on this kind of thing because, of course, the number of people using these are dropping all the time. Uh, it's not just, you know, it, it, it's a subset of people who've got Symbian devices and if you look in, in some markets, at the particularly in Western Europe, here in the UK, for example, it's down into very, very low numbers. It's sort of below, well below 1% if you look at some of the... Uh, market research and even lower if you look at those using online services you know it's uh, 0.1% of visitors it's almost within the kind of the error margins for measuring uh statistics if you look at some of the global stats there are some countries where it remains a bit higher but actually it's now a kind of a minority os in pretty much every single market um and as you say as a result of that you do then get kind of different priorities on, on fixing these things i suspect also it's partly a case of um Microsoft needs to be aware of them. It may take a while for it to get reported through the various support channels. And then, of course, they need someone who's actually capable of fixing it and knowing how to fix it, because, of course, a lot of these things are legacy. The people who used to work on them or or support them have either moved on to other projects or have been made redundant in one of the various rounds of job losses that both Nokia and Microsoft have gone through. So actually, even if there is a will to fix it, the, the, the practical practicalities of doing so are quite difficult. And I think this is a good example of one which I'm sure um, Microsoft would have wanted to keep running if at all possible, uh, and it still may well be fixed because it's relatively recent, this one. But there's a couple of other services that have clearly gone by the wayside because there's kind of just not the will or the kind of skill to continue supporting
0: them. Yeah, yeah. On the subject subject of people moaning, by the way, although this is a valid thing about Nokia's uh, Nokia Suite not working, I'm sure that can be fixed, if only by patching the various uh, server protocols. Quite. I did notice on the Nokia discussions forums, in an, <laughs> while I was there, in one of the forums, someone was moaning. This is a post dated uh, October 2014. Uh, it's very, very recent. Someone was moaning. They would bought an E71. And the user experience was terrible. And they were moaning at Nokia for shipping a phone, which had a terrible user experience. This was a phone from 2007, seven years ago. And of course, uh, of course, it's going to seem slow. Of course, it's going to seem restricted. It was a phone from a completely different age. But so he had the gall to sit there and write an entire missive about how bad the user experience was, how the updates didn't work properly. (laughs) It's from 2007.
1: Uh, 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 it's, It's interesting. I kind of have a bit of sympathy for people who, um, you know, end up with a device like that and find it doesn't work because it is very frustrating. But at the same time, you have to be realistic. And this isn't just a a Nokia problem. In fact, they've actually probably gone out of their way to sport. In in one sense, it's a testament to, to Symbian that it sort of still works and you can do a certain amount of stuff with it. And I, you know, occasionally pull out an old device and switch on. And yes, it still works fine as a phone call. Some of the smartphone elements have certainly fallen by the wayside. But it is a. It does seem to strike me somewhat bizarre. Sometimes people, you know, buy something and they describe it as new. Presumably, they picked it up secondhand in most cases yeah, yeah. and expect it to work. I, I think it's much more valid to complain if you're actively using something and it gets switched off. I think a good example of that in recent times is uh, Nokia Social, which stopped working, uh, or at least was scheduled to stop working a few days ago. I haven't actually checked as to whether that's um, all gone through. As of about a week ago. Yep. Of course, there would have been some people who may have been using that and are frustrated it's no longer working. Um, I think you kind of have to give them plaudits for preserving or persevering with uh, Nokia Social for this long. It was never really my uh, my favourite <laughs> app. I, I always tended to switch to using the mobile web version or something like Gravity. Um, and that's it. Comes back to you know how much money should be spent supporting uh, you know a user base that is shrinking. And I suspect in the case of Nokia Social. May well have been in the few thousands at the at, at the most. It's difficult to put numbers on these kind of things, but you have to be realistic and look around you and see how many people are using them. And it's very easy to be a bit blinkered to one market here in the UK because I am aware that there are some markets where Symbian, places like and Indonesia, where some of the devices kept on selling in good numbers until very late on in Symbian's lifetime. Whereas here in the UK, it's really been yeah. four years since Symbian devices sold in any numbers, and it's also product life cycle how long people can expect a phone to keep going. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. You do. I, I occasionally get an email in my inbox asking for help fix the device. Well, I can I will. But occasionally you do also get the odd rant instead of saying, how dare they stop supporting it. Um, of course, there are some legal things. I'm not really the best person to uh, talk about that. I'm not a legal expert. But of course, there was this um, kind of obligation to continue support the devices, but qu- quite how you define support and the, think that's where a lot of the contention has come from in the last sort of well 12 months certainly around people saying nokia should continue to support it and that means all the features um i think a more realistic interpretation of that tends to mean that they'll provide you with support if something breaks physically on your device if it's still in the warranty period and the software one is a, a lot more nebulous and i don't think as far as i'm aware there's not really been very many test cases about that Um, But certainly if you look at any device over four or five years old, be it Symbian, you know, or any of the other smart platforms or indeed feature phones, I think most people go, yeah, I'm not really expecting everything (laughs) to work. So I I think it's unfair to sort of criticize Symbian in particular for this. You pick up any smartphone that was seven or eight years old and it would be tricky. And frankly, there aren't that many around that aren't Symbian because it was so dominant back in that period, you know, 80% market share if we go back far enough. You know, the the other other platforms are long dead and gone
0: yeah yeah and it's worth noting along those very lines if yes if you to pick even an android device up from four years ago 2010 the chances are now that with the various updates the core google modules and i've hit this on numerous devices it literally won't work anymore because you turn it on for the factory reset turn it on it updates the various google modules and that's it that's your internal disc gone (laughs) you cannot can do nothing else there are a whole raft of devices from even as recent as 2010 which simply don't work properly in 2014 i think the e71 guy i was the, the, the goal of it was n- it's not so much that an e71 owner was complaining it's the fact that he obviously was uh, keen enough to log into Nokia discussions forums <laughs> on the internet to do it and you can understand it if someone was still using an e71 and they just use it as a phone you know and receive the odd text message and reply and it will work absolutely fine for that that's what it was designed to do and and, and not connect to all these myriad cloud services but to so expect something from that era to work in 2014 that's the bit that was kind of a disconnect for me
1: yeah, I mean, you try try it on an Android device, I mean, it's really anything from the 2.0 era of Android. You'll find it's very problematic now. Some of those are updatable to 4.0 or 4.1 and will therefore work a little better. But a lot of them are, are stuck on those, you know, very old yeah. Android releases. And, I mean, there was a sort of, I think, a usability and a functional issue with some of those releases anyway. And especially now that they are, you know, Android more so than perhaps any platform, was very reliant on online components. I haven't done an in-depth study of this, but certainly a couple of devices I've tried, and to all intents and purposes, been unusable apart from basic phone calls and text messaging. And I guess we're kind of in that same situation with Symbian. Apart from the fact you probably will find a lot more works, that's really um, to do with the way that Symbian was kind of set up its ethos. I think, Steve, you always described it as a, OS from the offline age, yeah. uh, where the emphasis, I always said, was on the phone and not really on the smart. And the smart was kind of the added stuff that you sideloaded apps on. And later in its life, it kind of got more of that. But it always felt like a bit of a, a bolt-on to the approach rather than now, where I think you'd say the the, the phone is almost secondary to the smart bit in all the modern um, smartphone operating platforms um, so that does mean that those parts of Symbian which were the bolted on online bits uh, are the bits that typically aren't working. I mean, there there are some workarounds. I mean, I think another one of these services that got terminated relatively recently was uh, Nokia Sync. But I'd be honestly surprised if there were that many people using it. I think the people left <laughs> with Symbian devices now are probably the ones who are using them purely as as phones. If they wanted to use the smartphone functionality, I find it difficult to believe they wouldn't have moved on to, to something else, uh, of course, there are always going to be some people who fall in that category, and I know there are people still using Simmin devices out there because I occasionally get email from them. But I'm talking about the kind of the the bigger numbers of people. You know, once you yeah. start talking about a community that's in the you know globally is probably under uh, maybe a hundred thousand in terms of actively using those smart bits of the platform. It becomes very difficult to justify how much effort should be put into it. You know, from purely from a company point of view, you have to have a slightly hard-headed commercial view on this. Of course, it's going to be better to invest in the more up-to-date and the future products. However, irritating it might be as a user of those older products, I think you have to have. Uh, a somewhat rational hat on otherwise you you will end up complaining about everything that becomes obsolescent um actually there's probably people out there who do do that and i <laughs> you know i rare light bulbs running out after six months or something like that so <laughs> i'm i'm trying not to be unsympathetic or make a joke for it here because actually it is kind of an issue but i think we're well past the point where you can have a sort of reasonable expectation of, of loads of support and sort of actually be realistic about what you can get and you can still do with these devices and, and to be fair you can still do a lot with them i mean yeah. you look at something like the 808 which i know i have to i haven't used in the last couple of months but i did use over the summer to take some pictures and i'm sure steve it's not yeah. you know too many months since you were using that device and that's still great as a you know, kind of standalone camera using it as a smartphone is pretty painful when you compare it to a modern android iphone or windows phone device
0: um, Yes and no. I'd, I would I would argue <laughs> that someone who n- knows Symbian as well as I do and has the right sources for the right custom firmware, the right SIS files, I think I can make a pretty good fist of doing an awful lot on a, an 808. But it would take an awful lot of work to get there. And I think our good friend Andy Hagen did an excellent couple of features where he looked at the E7. Mm-hmm. and I think the E72 um, de- Symbian devices from two or three years and about five years ago, and in each case came away really rather pained. And that's just by Andy's incredible technical expertise. So, It just shows, yes, you're absolutely right. There probably are, I mean, 20... Twenty million people using Symbian devices across the world right now, but nineteen and a half million of those people are are using them just as for telephones and uh, telephony and text messages and that 's probably it and then yes, there are a few hardcore enthusiasts, including the people listening to this podcast, probably using custom firmware and you know like me having fun geeking out and trying to make a go of it but uh, I would agree that uh, it is slightly painful in today in today 's age and there 's an awful lot of work goes into it. Um, Just on the subject of Nokia Social, we're stopping working. Um, Of course, when Nokia Social came in, it was designed to integrate multiple social networks. This was a time from, I don't know, MySpace as well and all the other. Nokia had this vision that there'll be five or six main social networks and their one tool would integrate them all. But of course, as it turned out, most of the other networks died a death, and what we left with basically Twitter and Facebook, and let's leave Google Plus to one side. But of course, now that Nokia Social stopped working, and it never worked particularly well in the first place, people can still go back to the Facebook quote client, which uh, I believe still works for, for for Nokia and Symbian. And so that on most Symbian phones, there should be a Facebook icon, and they just go in via that. And let's face it, the people, the sort of people who are likely to miss Nokia Social, are exactly the sort of people who will be Facebook users, so they should actually be sorted
1: yeah or, or they can use kind of a, a mobile web equivalent yeah. so you know I, I think some of these things you know complaining that they've disappeared again it's about being rational about what you can use your phone to do and, and be realistic and i mean you should probably be it's fair enough to say that a lot of the symbian devices you know became second-hand or third-hand or even fourth-hand devices as they pass through different owners and i'm sure there's still people using it from that point of view, be realistic, not everyone can uh, afford to upgrade their phone, you know, willy-nilly every sort of couple of years. Sometimes they will have a device that's five years old, and particularly if you look at the last generation SIM devices, I can understand some of those still being in use. Or, you know, it's doing a perfectly sufficient job, and people don't particularly want to upgrade. I mean, it, it may shock you to learn this, Steve, but not everybody is obsessed by smartphones and wanting the latest and greatest. Um, I'm sure there's going to be someone popping up saying, yes, especially. If you're a Symbian device owner, uh, which is probably a little unkind, but it it, it is actually an important point. Um, We talk about these things going away, and Nokia Sync is another one of them. Um, I think, and actually, you can use alternative mechanisms to get it working. And if you're willing to put a bit of effort into it, and if you're like Andy in, in researching those things you can find out that you can still do an awful lot with these devices. And so I think declaring the smart bit of them dead altogether is actually probably a step too far. You just have to be realistic that some things uh, have stopped working. I mean, I think Skype is another example of an app that they stopped the maintenance on that and presumably the infrastructure that supported that on the back end has been shut down. So that's stopped yeah. working. Yeah. But yeah, there are other VoIP apps that in theory that you can use of course, it still works just fine as a telephone. And actually, a lot of the E-series devices and some of the other Symbian devices had kind of VoIP functionality built into them. And if you go and look for the settings and go to some of the VoIP providers who provide the full SIP settings and the full SIP stack, you'll actually be able to use those with the device. And actually, it's more sophisticated and more integrated into the calling functionality than most smartphones on the market today. And so actually, those Symbian devices are actually, in some ways, still more sophisticated as Uh, SIP phones or SIP mobile devices than a lot of what we have available um, right up until the present day. And you can do some of it on Android, particularly if you install third-party apps, but uh, none of it is is quite to the level of Symbian in terms of the provisioning and all the uh, automatic over-the-air configuration, and that that does assume your SIP provider or your VoIP provider supports it. Um, But just to to show that there is often a a double-edged sword to these kind of, Uh it's dropped this, but it still does this.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, one bit of good news is that um, oh, I know we Nokia stroke Microsoft of uh, stroke here. I guess <laughs> have dropped support for uh, new offline maps for for Nokia Maps, but the the Here Transit or Nokia Public Transport on Symbian, if you like, uh, still has support. And in fact, um, that that's been updated at the server side. And I didn't put a cross-platform flow in that uh, public transport on Symbian now acquires the. Essentially, the full UK rail network, and in many other countries, there are similar additions. So, although we're not getting up to date updated road maps, Rafe, we are getting updated rail maps, which is good news.
1: Well, there you go. It's actually great news. It's interesting that that's the kind of uh, architecture decisions. I mean, on the the maps, the reason for that is the mapping format of map data changed, and obviously that wasn't then backported to the Simian maps, and so there was no longer a reason to support that. But uh, here Transit was updated relatively late in the day on the Symbian devices, and with one of those last updates, it kind of supported the new over-the-air updates of, essentially it's saying, these transport services available in these cities, and then it just sort of can download the data in a standard format, which it shares, obviously, across multiple platforms. And here Transit, it, it, it's more a happenstance of timing than any particular deliberate decision to support it, but... Obviously, good news if you are using them. And actually, it's one of those functions which I would argue is um, really valuable from a mobile device. If it stops working, you'll then have to go back to, I guess, using the mobile website of National Rail or uh, TFL or whoever it happens to be. But while it works, you can enjoy actually a pretty sophisticated public transport routing um, app.
0: Indeed, indeed. Um, also, I wanted to give a shout-out to David Wood, one of our best friends in the Symbian world since, uh, well, 20 years ago now, since the early days of Sion. Um, and he's been threatening to write up the entire saga of Symbian, right from the early, earliest ideas through implementation, all the internal politics and the comings and the goings and the pros and cons, the ups and downs. And he's written it all, and it's called Smartphones and Beyond – um, and we had uh, links to the, the book in Kindle format on Amazon in the, the story on All About Simba. And Also, I had him as a guest, an audio guest in my audio podcast uh, phone show chat. And it was episode number, Rafe?
1: 259 i believe steve
0: there we are so he was a, a really excellent guest if you're interested to interested to hear what david had to say about the the internals and the goings-on behind the scenes of Symbian, then do please listen to that and then go and buy his book it's a big read i don't know how far you have got with it Rafe. um i'm still only about halfway through and i've been at it now for about six weeks it's 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 interesting but it's also heavy it's not something you want to sit down and read in a 40-hour epic marathon
1: no, I mean, I've dipped in and out of it, and actually it's probably worth pointing out that in terms of the content, there's qu- inclusion of quite a few uh, documents, blog posts, uh, news stories and, and press in between bits of commentary. And so depending on how you choose to read it, you can actually get through it quicker. But uh, yes, it would definitely be a doorstop of a book if it was coming in a, a printed format. But what's so interesting about this is... It, there is a lot of history in the Symbian that I don't think people will be very well aware of unless they worked in the industry or worked for Symbian itself. And even if you are aware of it, getting the kind of insider's view, and it's fair to say, of course, you know David has a certain perspective on this, uh, but he's pretty much uniquely positioned in terms of having been inside from very early on to very late on, right through the kind of the February 11th or 2011 period and the wind down of, of Symbian there aren't very many people who have that long history yeah. in the sort yeah. of Cyan and Symbian. So I, I think that's a pretty unique perspective um, to address. And it's interesting just it, from a, a Symbian fan's point of view to read about all the history, all the kind of might have been and never happened. There's some really great bits in the book on kind of alternative histories or counterfactual histories that looking at what might have happened. And you know, it, what you're left in little doubt with, if things had gone a bit different, Symbian could have been the, the dominant, operating system on the planet in the in the way that android is today it, it mainly came down to the fact there were too many different vested interests and stakeholders interested in different things but it doesn't half make you wonder about what might have been and indeed Symbian could have been in many more places than just mobile phones and it makes you wonder what would have happened else with obviously things like the internet of things and then you know tens of billions of connected devices coming in the future it, it wasn't to be but he in Equally, I think it's interesting really for those who are just interested in technology and the way that decisions get made in big technology companies, particularly around um, big technical architectures, open standards, uh, platforms when there's lots of people playing. It's something we're going to see a lot more of in the future because the need for uh, these big consumer electronics or technology companies to work together to create standards is only going to become uh, a bigger part of kind of the technology cycle as i say it's not it's been about mobile phones and it kind of stands around that but if you think that consumer electronics is a growing area still and we've you know whatever two billion smartphones plus now in the next couple of decades we're going to see that expand again when we have you know smart home smart car smart everything else you know that's the idea of an internet of things and sensors everywhere and um, you, know, you talk about hear people talk about 50 billion devices by 2020 for example that actually means you need all the bits to go with them the way they're tied together and i think a lot of the lessons for from Symbians story are just as relevant today for what we're looking for in the next couple of decades and so i'd recommend it for people who a are Symbian fans but b who actually just want to understand some of the, the, the potential pitfalls as well as the successes of Symbian and what that can teach us about the uh, technology developments in the future, and, and it's you know uh, really fascinating to get the inside view. It's pretty unusual actually to hear some hear from someone who was you know right at the top and certainly had a, a perspective or a view into all the major decisions. And actually to have them come out and write it down on the record publicly, I think uh, David deserves a great deal of applause for that because in it's a pretty you know it's a warts and all thing. It's certainly there are plenty of decisions that um, look pretty. Well not I wouldn't say stupid, but you sort of, in hindsight, which is a great thing, you sort of go, Why on earth did that happen? And some things that it's hard to believe that, you know, the various players in the industry allowed it to happen or didn't take the opportunity that seemed to be right in front of them. But equally well, you could there's an understanding exactly why things happened and I'm sure history will repeat them over and over. So yeah, it's it's a great read. Actually if you look at some of the reviews on the website, you'll see a lot of um familiar names from the Symbian world. Sort of uh, commenting on the various aspects of it, and I think there's a, a genuine sense that you know, David has captured that history pretty accurately.
0: Yeah, so indeed, if you're listening to this, a uh, run, don't walk, go and buy the copy of the book. Is grab it in um, Kindle format. Um, and then you can get Kindle readers for most platforms, if not for, if not for Symbian. Um, there are actually ways to read Kindle books. But I'm not sure if they work with this particular DRM uh, version. So the comments welcome. I'm sure you'll find a way of reading it. Um, just thinking about devices that might have been, Ray, if you think where Scion was at the end of the 1990s with the, I mean, the mid-1990s, they had, so 1997, they had the, the touchscreen multitasking graphical interface driven by a stylus, of course, on the Scion Series 5 5MX. Then they had colour screens with the Series 7 and Netbook. There was a, a rumour at one point they were developing a colour version of the Revo, a smaller palm top, again with a touch screen. Um, and uh, within a year or two, they had this joint pro- project with Motorola, um, bringing in telephony and data, and that got cancelled because of shenanigans at Motorola's end. But that was around the sort of two thousand mark. Um, that was so, so seven years before the iPhone, f- five or six years before the Nokia N ninety five. We had a full color, or the the option, the possibility of a color touchscreen multitasking smartphone interface, years ahead of the rest of the world, and. Pr- arguably i guess long before the world actually needed it <laughs> but it was there and it was so far ahead of its time and yet uh, so 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 much time was lost over the next decade
1: yeah i i think that's in hindsight the history of, of symbion and actually to a certain extent you can also parallel this with some of what happened to nokia um quite unbelievable level of insight and intelligence about the way things were going as you say you know you talk about all those developments uh the way that Cyan and some of the leaders there saw what was going to happen next, you know, they made exactly the right bet. They made the right moves. It didn't come off. And I think probably the lessons from smartphones and beyond is about the complexity of software projects and sort of big software development in general, but also the kind of the human impact where there are humans that make the decisions and, and that's, you know, in some ways, the biggest, biggest failure point. But yes, I mean, I, I think it's, that aside, it's quite possible to get teary eyed about the past, <laughs> um, you know, with regard to sign. And I mean, if you look at where some, uh, Andrew orlowski writing on the register has written very effectively about this as well, some of the kind of the 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 diaspora from sign as well with people who went off and founded TomTom, Tom, and actually something very similar has happened to that company in some ways. You know, the personal navigation device market. You know, those GPS units that used to sit in cars' dashboards. Yeah. You know, that's risen and fallen over a similar period to, to Symbian in many ways. And obviously, that's all been integrated into the phone to a certain extent, head units in cars as well. But there are plenty of other examples of that, and you know, things like Hilden, which gets talked about as the lost UI of um, Symbian. Uh, you know the big themes that come out of things like this is when you talk about when Symbian lost control over the user interface and the user experience originally there were a whole bunch of what were referred to I think as device reference designs or dfrds yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was quartz pearl crystal all slightly different form factors that kind of went on to become uh, series 80 uiq and series 60 and and there was also Sirius 19, so the Hilden, Hilden one, which was uh, kind of, was in some ways the most far ahead of its time in touch and looking forward to that future. But uh, I think that's absolutely right to identify that as kind of a key point in Symbian's history. But it's equally well, it's easy to say that with hindsight, of course. Um, at the time, there wasn't kind of that level of investment. And we look back on it now and take smartphones being all dominant for granted. Back in, you know, 2000, 2004 period, Smartphones weren't a sort of a given, and this idea that within 10 years from 2004, that would get to the point where you know 80% of the UK population would own a smartphone it was really difficult to look that far ahead and see. Mm. Um, but it, it's what many of um, Symbian's kind of founders and the people working on the platform early on really did think about, and you know they got a long way towards that goal. They were just, I think, overtaken by platforms that were perhaps better placed because they started a bit later and therefore had a better idea about the whole uh, what resources would be available where they could build off and where they could go to and you know the people talk about Symbian being a fantastic piece of software engineering in that it ran with relatively few requirements in terms of it could run on low spec devices that was also its Achilles heel that it a resource constraint it was designed around, sort of, ceased to exist. Yeah, and and Android, iOS was perhaps able to take advantage of that.
0: Yeah, I do notice that the the, the new Nexus Six, the new Google monster device, has got a two point seven gigahertz processor with three gig of RAM. It's just, it's just monster specs, and and most of us have had laptops with lower specs, uh, not not more than three or four years ago. It's just incredible. Anyway, before we finish this podcast, I just wanted to. Uh, Perhaps a bit of fun, uh, pick off favourite five Symbian devices ever. And I don't mean the most powerful. I don't mean the ones that sold most. The five that are are closest to our heart for various reasons. And uh, maybe if I can kick off, Rafe, while I um, describe my five, you can be thinking about yours. Starting in, in no particular order, but the E72. Um, now many people will be surprised. They think, well, the E71. That was the, the, perceived as the classic. And yes, I was there at the E71 launch, and I was raving about how fast it was, which seems incredible in 2014, seeing how slow an E71 is these days. If you try and boot it up, <laughs> but the E71 was it was a, a radical reworking of the E61, and it you know, it'd be smaller, more pocketable, faster. The autofocus camera. It was a really, really top-notch device for for the today but the e72 didn't quite get the right say plaudits it was a year or so later and i guess there were expectations coming on board the iphone was on the horizon etc um, but the e72 had the uh, much higher spec camera um, it had a, a more more f- filled out sort of software because it was um, s60 third edition feature pack 2 if i remember rightly um, and it had a uh, it didn't quite have as much free RAM, and it wasn't quite as fast, but it was certainly a more rounded smartphone. And I still pick up my E72 and think, well, I could still use this at a pinch, and just having the always-there physical QWERTY keyboard, I think, is uh, was still a big boon. Um, the Nokia N8 and the 808. To put these in as number two and three. There's, there's no particular order, but they have to be in the top five. Really, um, people know I love a really good imaging uh, smartphone, camera, camera phone. Tempting to put the N82 in there as well. Of course, the, all three device having in and Flash. But the N82 at the end of the day, those little fiddly little button, fiddly little buttons, which I I kind of got used to, but I never really loved. The N8 and 808, of course, being touchscreen, um, and they were Symbian three generations, so they were capacitive touchscreens. And uh, with a few software updates, they actually had a, a decent UI as well. Um, the 808 still reigns supreme, is probably is still the most powerful Symbian smartphone uh, ever made. Um, and I've still got my 808 here with my sim in and I still use it occasionally and try and get various things to work. And, of course, use it for the news pieces on All About Symbian. So um, fourth and fifth slots in my top five all-time favorite um, Symbian devices I'm going to go two oddballs here um, the Nokia N93 which is one of the first N, N series not the first but it was, it was the first to really push the boat out and to have this incredible transforming form factor that could be a camcorder one moment then a media play the neck then a still camera then a normal flips, flip phone and it had even um, information on a sort of a, an external display sort of the, the forerunner if you like of the sort of glance screens of today maybe And the 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 image quality on the N93 with its three megapixel autofocus camera with optical zoom, I mean it was just stunning for for the time. Its Achilles' heel, apart from the sheer mechanical fragility, was. Of course, the the, the free uh, RAM in particular. Um, and uh, I was forever running out of memory with the, the first few firmwares. Eventually, it kind of got to a state where it was usable, but then no, I think Nokia ran out of interest and it was abandoned and the firmware never made it beyond I think, version 21 or so. I um, So it always remained a tiny bit um, crippled, a tiny bit buggy, which is a great shame. They did the N93i, which was uh, kind of crippled in different ways in terms of hardware, but the N93 is still a stunningly, Interesting device, and if anybody out there listening to this can pick one up secondhand, uh, you know, for a ten, twenty pounds on their local eBay, then do grab it. And if you don't like it, send it to me because <laughs> I need one for my collection. Um, and fifth in my top five, I'm going to pick the Sony Ericsson P800, if only to make sure Sony Ericsson gets into the Symbian top five. But also, it was. It was the purest of the UI devices. It was the very first one. It was it was almost as you say. You mentioned the quartz reference UI for the early Symbian, the the touchscreen UI, uh, and that this was the first device. And it was designed along the lines of the older um, Ericsson R three hundred and eighty, the very first um, Symbian device that wasn't actually extensible. Back in the day where you had a a fl- flip with number number keypad where the number keys physically pressed down onto a resistive touchscreen underneath, which sounds horrendous, but in actual fact it's incredibly elegant and there are, there are no moving parts in terms of ribbon cables and coils and so forth and you could actually take off the number keypad and replace the the, the hinge with a sort of a, a flat template panel and that left you with a full touchscreen communicator and this was a sort of is it two thousand and four two thousand and five ish rafe, which is very early for the for for the day, and I think the P800 almost was a glimpse of the future.
1: Yes, I, I thought I was going to try and do five different devices to Steve just to keep the mixed. Up. <laughs> it's kind of a sign that there are so many Symbian devices that I can do that without too much difficulty. But they say you never forget your first love, and the P800 was my first ever Symbian device, and so I've got to put it on my list. And I do think it was incredibly far cited it in in many ways. I mean, it was kind of the the forerunner of all those touch devices, but also the way it it kind of... I I guess at the time it was marrying the PDA with the phone more so than uh, Series 60, which was things like the 7650 and the 3650 attempted to do. But it's the one that feels most like a a modern smartphone. Yes, you go back and use it and it very clearly shows its age, but you can see a lot of the kind of things that are in there, you know, things like the browser was there. Admittedly, it was kind of over a GPRS connection or even over a dial-up connection. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's how far we're going back. But actually, you know, quite a big screen. The idea that you'd be running applications full screen, the sort of idea of, Uh, a full OS that you could switch between different tasks and have to give a shout out, I guess, to the jog dial as well. And actually it was a forerunner in terms of using interesting colors and plastics and not just being a a very boring object to look at. It was really attractive. I mean, it was almost a shame to my mind when Sony Epperson kind of rode back from that with some of the later P series devices, but I liked a lot of them. I mean, I had the uh, P900, the P910, the P1i, the M600i, all various uh, UIQ devices all of which kind of have a soft spot. Um, I also had the Motorola A920 as my first ever 3G device. And that was on three in the UK back when 3G was actually pretty slow. Um, But again, it was kind of a a forerunner of what was to come. But so the P800 is my first device. Again, because it was my first Series 60 device, I have a soft spot for the 3650 despite the round dial keypad. Um, (laughs) Yes, it was sort of, 4 megabytes of space and you kind of shudder to think about it now the relative simplicity of it but at the same time actually I could see that the P800 was going to be kind of a top-end device it was difficult to see how that would become mass market I clearly wasn't looking far enough ahead but you looked at the 3650 and you could see yes ordinary people would buy this over and above a feature phone ignoring the price because it was expensive at the time I can see the extra utility that this brings and the idea of third-party apps, extending things, well, it was still a very good uh, phone. And whatever you think about the Series 60 subsequently, the ease of use of that UI, which matched what you got on on Series 40 in terms of the way things worked, uh, there was a lot to be said for that. So that would be my second device. It then becomes a lot harder to think about which devices I like. I kind of want to give a mention to Sendo, again, partly so we don't have all oh, yes. Nokia devices here, because it was a British smartphone company that, um, <laughs> I think it's fair to say, it had its problems with Microsoft when it was doing Windows Mobile devices, and then came into the sit world and released the Sendo X, which was a pretty competent Series 60 device. I think of all of the kind of non-Nokia Series 60 devices, of which there was many things like the uh Panasonic X700 and 800, I think it was, the Siemens SX1, various uh, Samsung devices, of which I'd probably pick out the i450 with its uh, scroll wheel being my favourite. But the Sendo X stands out to me as the one that was kind of the most forward thinking. And actually the X2, which you got to see at, um, I think it was called 3GSM rather than MWC there, um, was out on a boat in the harbour and it was all very glamorous and saw that device and it never made it to the market because uh, Sendo subsequently went bust. But that was a pretty nice device as well. Um, and so, as I say, Sendo X is my uh, third device. I think I'd then have to pick out the Nokia N95 and I would go for the eight gigabyte variant in particular yeah. as my, my fourth device. And that came out at the same time as the iPhone. And it was really representative of the peak of the Symbian way of doing things in terms of the non-touch device the you know uh, two-way slide the multimedia communicator as Nokia talked about it, but it really was a very sophisticated device and it's hard to imagine it now but uh, at the time it was way way ahead of its time, integrating a 5 megapixel camera that produced really good shots for the time it had an integrated GPS now some of the software wasn't quite finished it took a while to come onto the market and Uh, smart to go as nokia maps was then based on wasn't really nearly as good as it got later on but in terms of that converged smartphone that was the peak of that and in some ways that hasn't been an awful lot of development hardware terms since then apart from the move to bigger touchscreen devices everything else in terms of sensors you know the n95 had the accelerometer people will remember the lightsaber application for example um it had the GPS. It had the you know the high resolution, high quality camera. It had the front facing camera. You know, it had three uh, G. All of those kind of bits combined into it. A very sophisticated device. And you know, I think um, if the iPhone hadn't been announced, it's it's interesting to speculate what might have happened, what would have come next. And uh, the N ninety five, I think, is a beloved device of many many yeah. people. So it has to be on my list. I could have then picked out one of the more modern devices as Steve did, like the N8 or the 808. But one that I actually personally really liked in terms of a bit of design was the C7. It sort of then basically got updated as the uh, Nokia 701 as well. But the C7 was one of the last of the kind of smaller smartphones that... Felt like it was phone-sized. It wasn't particularly big. I can't remember the exact screen dimensions. I 3.5, same like as the N8, wasn't it? Three and a half inches. Yeah. But it was a, quite a bit slimmer than the N8, and it was a yeah. rounded back. It fitted very comfortably into the hat. And there were some really clever design touches, like a microphone hidden in the kind of the battery catch, which meant it was good at noise cancellation. So it was crystal clear on phone calls. The aerial engineering was really well done. It had a breathing light that sat there pulsing when you had not alert for messages. Something I'd actually really like to see come back, and in fact, is we're kind of getting back on the latest version of the Microsoft um, G wireless charger. I think it's the DT903, which sits there with a kind of a breathing light, which I guess can trace its descent back to the C7. So that was that's kind of my fifth device and my, my choice. I mean, it's a very personal selection Then you'd probably ask me in a week's time and I'd come up with five different <laughs> devices. But But what's really interesting from that is the great variety of device and form factors and I'm going to cheat and have a sixth device so am I, I want to you. give a give a, give a <laughs> mention to the communicator
0: oh line. same as me you go first though <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm going to pick out the
1: 9500 because that was the device that I spent the most time with probably the one that I like the most I mean I spent a lot of time wanting the 9210 but never really got my hands on it in time but I did get the 9500 and for those who come from Scion devices, it was kind of the continuation of that classic clamshell form factor. And there were lots of things that didn't work terribly well. And Series 80 was sometimes a bit the poor stepchild of Series 60 in terms of apps getting released for it. But again, a long way ahead of its time. And I, I think in some ways you can see the 9500 as the direct ancestor of the kind of what I think are referred generally as post-PC devices, as in what tablets, particularly when they're attached to keyboards or the transformer device have become. We're talking about a different scale, but it's about what they were used for in the mindset that they came with. And it was kind of the idea that you could do your computing on the move, kind of a laptop replacement. It wasn't really, but it really set off that whole trend for me. And, you know, really some iconic devices there. You know, if you go back to the... GOS devices, uh, the pre-Symbian device, but obviously the Symbian kings of the communicators and the E90, so it's cheating to have a 6 device but I think Steve, you're going to pick out one as well, aren't you?
0: Well, I'm actually going to (laughs) be... take a cue from your book and, and try to do something different. I was going to go for the E90, um, but as you just mentioned, the its the, the predecessor, the 9500, I'm going to switch and, and choose the uh, Nokia 7710, which almost no one out there has probably yes. ever seen, let alone got one. But I, I, th- I believe I've got yours in my cupboard and I must get it out again. Essentially, from 2005, this is a full two years before the iPhone popularised the idea of a full-face touchscreen smartphone. I guess you could argue that things like the Windows Mobile devices the pdas which then had telephony grafted in, were also there in the, in the mix but uh, certainly in the Symbian world c- kind of uh, i as we said earlier taking the, the touch screen roots of Symbian and doing something with it and you mentioned the hilden interface and the nokia 7710 r- ran uh, series 90 um which is a kind of an as you say part, all part of that that software empire 2005 had a really large um touchscreen resistive but then hey it was 2005 and um, with a full gui and i I did boot it up about a year ago rafe and it still works and you can still browse around you can still start applications and you can still go online so again there's so many devices we've mentioned over the last uh, 20 minutes or so which are really ahead of their time and that if there's any one sadness in looking back at Symbian, apart from you know we've mentioned um, from david's book all the things that that might have been if there's any one sadness is it the fact that that, that most people in the tech media in the the wider world didn't really recognise um the, the highlights of symbian, some of the devices that came out, some of the some of the real achievements at the time. And even looking back now, history gets r- written by the victors and people perceive Android and iOS as the victors. And if it wasn't for David <laughs> and perhaps that they're all about Symbian writings, then the history of Symbian wouldn't actually be written at all.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's right. And there's seventy 70- 110 and the, it was the 7700 which was kind of the prototype version of it uh i think if you had to pick out one as being ahead of its time the far side that's it a lot of the conventions that you see in there both in ui terms but in what it was expected to do yes granted it's dated but very recognizable as the kind of uh, a cross between the smartphones and the tablets of today And when you think about where that came from, it's a pretty incredible achievement. And it's a real shame that it didn't get taken further forward. I mean, the reason for that really was because that Nokia quite rightly saw that there was at the time more volume in the kind of the mass market Series 60 type devices. Um, I I think if Series 60 was ahead of its time, the Series 90 and the 7110 was even further ahead of its time and reflects where we are kind of now and perhaps even holds some some lessons for the future as well. In that it started to think about some cross-device stuff, and you know certainly the communicator as well, in terms of add-on accessories. Obviously, you can read too much into that kind of thing, um, but you know I, I think you're absolutely right about the history. And one of the things that really irritates me when people talk about smartphone history, it, it's as if it began began with the iPhone and all of the current operating systems and some of the ones that are now dead and gone owe an enormous debt to, to Symbian and I think people don't recognize how much it did to establish the idea of smartphones as the personal computer of today and and that's really what smartphones have become it's you know the PC that everyone has in their pocket all the time and that vision was originally espoused by Symbian and those Symbian devices and a lot of the technology we take for granted you know the idea of convergence having lots of different bits of hardware in your smartphone that comes from Symbian the idea of sensors those again come from Symbian device or Nokia research labs in particular the idea of kind of installable applications obviously that predated Symbian but there were some of the things like the app store if you look at things like Nokia download
0: yeah.
1: that were arguably you know a lot of the pieces were in place um you can also look at some of the content provision There were various Nokia services that would download videos and audio overnight and the integration of streaming TV and video, the idea of location being a really important context point, all can be traced back to the the Symbian days. And I think you have to be somewhat careful there because it wasn't necessarily just, I mean, it was the fact that Nokia tried to build these things on top of the Symbian platform and Symbian devices were what we use for prototypes and to deliver it. Um, And Uh, it's wrong to say there's been no innovation now, but a lot of those early things didn't originate with the iPhone. They didn't originate with Android. They, They came from the Symbian world. And of course, the Symbian devices stood on top of devices that came before that. You know, the CyanOS Epoch being a particularly good example of that. But even that, you know, it all draws on early computing history. But when you tell the story of the smartphone, I think you absolutely have to say that Symbian was the originating platform from which all others are descended in one way or another, it, both in terms of the concept and some things it espoused, some of the design principles, um, some things that it tried to do. But more than anything else, the vision that was espoused by Symbian and Nokia it has, has been monumentally important. And uh, when you think that the smartphones of today are, are taking you know, the idea of computing into places that it never would have reached, you know, this is the difference between two billion smartphones versus. 1.1 billion PCs or something like that, I think its importance really can't be underestimated. So it is very frustrating to see it sort of relegated to a footnote because uh, it, it's really a disservice to Symbian and all the work that went into it. And those people that worked on it, I think, could be very proud of the legacy that it, it, it's left behind. And uh, you know, everything builds on top of everything else. But in particular, I think Symbian is sometimes put in too, too dark a corner and people... Yeah. Uh, are too focused on the way it sort of declined and Nokia imploded spectacularly um, and actually perhaps as a result don't give it, give it its place in history that it deserves. And we we may be looking at the past through kind of Symbian tinted glasses and might have a, a, a soft spot. But I think if you were in the fullness of time, then Symbian will be judged to be a, a far more important operating system platform and, and all the bits that go with it in terms of the device and the services than it is today. Um, And I think uh, the debt that is owed to it by by the other platforms will be fully acknowledged, but uh, we're not there yet.
0: Yeah, I agree to all that. I have thought actually, Rafe, of the ultimate um, example of Symbian and Symbian's ancestry being ahead of its time. Uh, Scion Series 7, 1999, a full-colour touchscreen laptop. Today in 2014, we're getting touchscreen laptop. for the first time we're getting Chromebooks. (laughs) We're getting Windows 8.1 PCs with touchscreens. We had it in 1999. That's 15 years ago. So there was thought to leave you with. It's been a great podcast, Rafe. I hope the listeners have enjoyed this. It may well end up being the very last all about Symbian Insight Podcast, in which case we've gone out with a bang. We may end up, if we have some spare time over Christmas, who knows, do a few other bits and pieces, but don't count on it, don't hold your breath. In the meantime, do catch up with us on the other podcasts, allaboutwindowsphone.com, where you can find Rafe and I chatting weekly. Um, you can find me on the phone show chat podcast also weekly. There's also, Rafe is uh, part of the 361 podcast, which is uh, not quite weekly, Rafe? No,
1: it's not quite weekly. It sort of tends to run in seasons where we have a, a gap between them. But uh, when it is active, it is on on a weekly basis. And there's a, a season going on at the moment you can catch up with. And the next one has already uh, been plotted and planned as well. So that will be uh, coming along before two course. But I, I'd also like to add my uh, thanks to, Symbian for, uh, to, to Steve, to those who've listened. I hope you've enjoyed this. Um, it's been a pleasure writing about Symbian and talking about Symbian over many years. I suspect we'll continue to do so on and off, but perhaps not, quite in such a, a direct yeah. format. Um, the, the site is obviously going to stay exactly where it is. There'll be a few bits of updates going up every now and then. And, and if this is the last ever All About Symbian podcast, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's listened to it over the years and given us lots of great feedback. It's always been a, a pleasure to record it. And I want to say a special thank you to Steve, who's uh, stuck with me through more than two two 250 podcasts recording the All About Symbian insight and it's been a, a real pleasure to have someone on the other end of the line who's been so knowledgeable and so wise about the uh, symbian ecosystem of mobile devices in general so a big thank you to you as well steve
0: uh, and also a, a name check of course for david gilson and ewan spence and a few others Absolutely. over the years who have committed many articles and of course have appeared on many podcasts as well so it's been a team effort all round thank you very much for listening to this special insight podcast uh, i'll say goodbye and then Rafe can do the very final ever goodbye perhaps
1: Oh, Boo hoo. So, well, as I say, thanks everybody for listening and to contributing. We will, of course, be maintaining the site and there will be a few more bits of content. Look at us first sort of reminiscing about Symbian on other podcasts and elsewhere. But it only remains for me to say goodbye so long and thank you very much.